Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And we are now at the end of the first plot arc of Revolutionary Girl Utena. Uh, we are watching the series in order. It is Chesney's first time watching this. So she is seeing this all for the first time. If you're watching along with us and you're seeing it for the first time, glad to have you here. If you are a longtime fan, uh, also very glad to have you here. I have personally been finding that watching it with Chesney, I get to see like the show a little bit like I did the first time, which is, as you all know, such a valuable thing to recapture with this show. Uh, we are on episode 13, Plotting a Locus. Plotting a Locus? Yes. That's the name uh, of the episode? I did not pay attention. I never pay attention to the episode <laughs> titles. I really should. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so a, a locus is like a, a mathematical point in space that's like clearly defined by some equation. Um, and we kind of get that with how like the mysterious figure in red um, talks about like the seven duels that led up to this moment where like mm -hmm. each one, like it, like it triangulates or septangulates <laughs> um, to, to find like a point which in this case is like Utana or maybe it's the prince like whatever it is you know um, mm -hmm. but yeah like that's the title of the episode plotting a locus <laughs> yeah I'm glad you explained that because I would have no clue that's what that was I thought you were saying locust with the T that's the bug I was like okay <laughs> Yeah, there's just a plague of locusts hitting a Tory Academy. It's a, <laughs> it is a very biblical episode. <laughs> oh my god! Thank God for those uh, equestrian fields that you know, <laughs> all the locusts could just go to in the end. No, I mean Mickey and Toga have to watch out because the firstborn sons is coming up. So yeah, uh, true. Yeah, <laughs> true. So. Uh, we open once again with the fairy tale opening that does the recap of um, Utana in the graveyard when she meets the prince for the first time. Um, we've seen this a couple times now, and uh, last time I, we saw it, I think, was episode eight. And like it, it just keeps popping up to remind us of like what we're doing here, what this show is. Um, but also, like, this is very much a recap episode. And it is the first time that the show does a proper recap episode. Um, it has become dramatically less common to do recap episodes in, in anime these days. Um, and Western animation, too. Uh, recap episodes are almost always like the weakest of a series <laughs> and people have yeah. learned that and just like stopped doing them. Yeah. The only one that I can think of, uh, that's done it is my hero. And I, I think it's sometimes it's still left over for series where they're like getting ahead of where they are in the manga, like as was the case with Utena, but, um, well, like, yeah, manga, my hero is the last one that I can like, think of. The manga and the anime were done kind of simultaneously for this show. Mm. And like the same people were all kind of in the room deciding the story as far as like I'm aware of how this was done. Like this was very different from like some other shows. Um, Got it. 
where like the manga is like two or three volumes out ahead of the show and then they're animating to catch up um these were kind of done pretty much in tandem which is actually where like the next plot arc comes from is that they just had a season's worth of time to fill before the next volume of the manga would be out so they just had to create an entire new plot line that would slot into the show and not disrupt the story that was going on in the manga um so what we end up doing in the show is we're going to go a lot deeper with the characters. Um, this next plot arc is where we're going to find out like a whole lot about them and, and like their psyche because like we can't change the plot. If that right. makes sense. Like the, like the main plot can't go off the rails here or it'll never come <laughs> back. Um, yeah. <laughs> But I, I think that that's also one of the strengths of the show is the next plot arc coming up. It's one of my favorites. Um, and it's one of my favorites because it goes so much deeper with the characters than we get in the manga. Um, it's a rare thing where like the show is deeper than the book. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But um, yeah, so... The other thing, like, with recap episodes is, like, they came about to fit, uh, like, the production schedule of shows where you had to be churning these things out week after week after week. And sometimes you just don't have the content to put out a full episode. And so Mm -hmm. in order to, especially right after a, a, like, season finale episode where you have, like, all your animation hours being put into like these giant action set pieces. Um, right. Not necessarily the case with this show. <laughs> like Toga's <laughs> second duel is not especially more animated, I guess, uh, than the first one. And yet um, in order to fit the time slot for the series, we have a, a recap episode and Honestly, like this show commits the cardinal sin of recap episodes of introducing new plot during the recap episode. (laughs) Wait, why do you say it's a cardinal sin, though? Recap episodes should be skippable because like it's all stuff you've seen already. But in this show, they pepper in like actual new relevant information. Like we're introduced to a character right off the bat that like we've never seen before and yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i i like that (laughs) i i like that only because to me it gives it some value as opposed to eh just skip you know like there's still something to be gleaned even uh from the battles themselves like the fact that they're all named and have a theme yeah like looking back on it yeah sure it makes sense like everything all the battles were around a theme but i don't think i don't think you would have just come out and been like oh yeah and that was the self battle you know <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> 
I really enjoyed episode 12 where Utena fought the self battle, you know, like, or the self duel rather. Yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody would have put it in that context without this. (laughs) Oh, sure. And like, in order to make this episode work, they have this new character that they introduce who clearly has some relationship to the prince, Mm -hmm. um, is not the prince, but looks very similar to the prince. So like, if you met him on the street, you might like mistake one for the other. Right. In a way that like Toga can't carry off that, that ruse. No. Um, but this new character probably could even has like the color coded hair thing going on. Um, and, you know, and, like revealing that the duels were uh, named and themed and all part of like some overarching plot that this character has been watching and watching very carefully. Mm-hmm. is new information, right? Like it reframes all of the duels in a way that like we kind of knew that the end of the world existed, that there was like some higher power in in this universe that was involved or like pulling strings or something. But now we actually see a character who is in that watcher role. Right. Yeah, and I literally wrote down <laughs> You know, after we finished watching the episode, I literally wrote down who the fuck was the end of the world. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing that the arc doesn't tie up neatly with a little bow. It doesn't give you that yet. So, right. yeah, just interested to see how much further that will play out, if at all. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that we have someone else now who explicitly can talk to the prince. Because until this point, only Uten has been able to do that. Right. And in a completely different context, too. Like, Uten's was when she was a kid. So, like, that could have been... I just I want to say like that could have been anything <laughs> like as opposed to oh do to do let me just go up to the castle in the sky and talk to the man trapped inside of it you know <laughs> mm-hmm. well yeah like the prince visits Utana but this guy visits the prince exactly he has access to him in a way that is much freer than any character we have seen so far everyone else is fighting to get there he apparently could just like yeah. walk in. <laughs> yeah. And access to him in a way that is much more tangible and less corporeal. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Um, so this episode opens with the shadow girls. And once again, they're just straight up aliens. Like they're talking, they're in spacesuits. They, their voices are modulated. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole works. So much. I love it so much. <laughs> In this one, the Shadow Girls are just kind of recapping, like, yeah, she fought, she won, everything's cool. 
And at the end, they say, okay, but you might be called back to battle again. So mm-hmm. maybe don't put that sword down just yet. Which, you know, like, <laughs> we know this isn't the end of the series. And uh, they, they've got more story to tell. Not every plot gets wrapped up when she beats Toga. Right. Even though, like, everything was building to the battle with Toga, there's now a new hill to climb. They also, two things. They call Utena a nosy hero. (laughs) (laughs) Which I got a good laugh out of. And then at the very end, they psych you out again by showing them flying off in their spaceship. And then the camera zooms out further and it shows uh, what looks like one of them having like a, a spaceship at the end of like a fishing line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like reeling them in. Which again, kind of puts this back in the realm of theater more than like literal canonical aliens. I know, <laughs> which makes me sad. I was like, yes, aliens for one episode. And now I'm like, <laughs> God dang it. <laughs> well, okay. So it's worth noting that like, um, the Takarazuka Review, which is a women's theater in Japan, um, was very famously influential on some of the key figures who developed this show. Hmm. Uh, one of the names that I've dropped before, J.A. Caesar, the, the composer for all those dual songs, mm-hmm. um, he's very big into experimental theater. And so theater plays like a really big role across this series as like a a subtextual and almost like textural background piece. Um, You know, like I I think of like the Mickey duel where the song was about that, about being in the theater. Um, Theater is referenced in a number of the duel songs. Uh, but like Mickey's song especially seems to be like about the theater of of life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like at one point in this episode, uh, you know, th- this mysterious character references being on the stage, you know, like the, or the something about like the stage is set or some something to along those lines or like walking out on stage he says something i can't remember exactly mm-hmm. where what it was um so like that that theater piece is a through line throughout all of this and of course like theater is where we get the greek chorus from mm-hmm. which is what these characters are are being in the show uh the shadow girls act as that greek chorus for the entire show and right. so um, you know, explicitly hanging it out there that they are a, a theater thing seems very like in keeping with the, the themes of the show so far. Yeah. I I like that framing of it because it makes the shot of the camera pulling back and showing one of the shadow girls reeling in the UFO with a fishing line, it does make it very like backstage production y <laughs> <laughs> and very high school production, right? Right, exactly. 
like that's how a high school would would do it like they they'd hook it up to like the fly loft and and run it up on a line and <laughs> you know um, yeah <laughs> so we get this insert shot and it's a really understated moment um it's the um it's the abraxas song again except it's that like flute version rather than like the whole pipe organ version um or maybe Mm -hmm. it's like an oboe like it's some woodwind is playing it almost solo and it's like that down tempo the quieter understated one and we hear the student council speech but it's being spoken on a recording and we get this shot of what is apparently the res- the Kiryu residence, um, Nanami and Toga's house, which from the architecture style might actually be on campus. Yeah, we never quite figured that one out because one of their parties was like also kind of on campus. Maybe they're um, one of their parents is like the equivalent of a chancellor or something. Who knows? Yeah, like, they're bougie enough that they have an entire house on campus. <laughs> right. <laughs> they they just get to live in, like, um, the, like, every university has, like, that house that used to belong to the chairperson or the chancellor or something like that. But now it's, like, mm-hmm. um, where the university foundation is, where, like, they, the donor's office is, something like that. But, like... These two get to actually just live in it, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Also, the recording that's playing is repeating the same line over and over. What did you make of that? Honestly, I just wrote down what a narcissist Toga is. <laughs> He's like sulking in his room because he lost again. But like this was a thorough thrashing from Utena. No coming back from this one. Uh <laughs> in Toga's defense of like being allowed to have emotions, his world <laughs> actually has just been shattered. Like <laughs> he did lose well, the thing that he has wanted more than anything else. <laughs> Yeah, well, roll the dice and, you know, play the gamble. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, messed up as, as his methods were, he also did just lose. Yeah, it makes sense yeah. that he's sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's listening to this recording of himself sulking in his room. And it's it's only him saying the same line over and over and over again, which is about right. cracking the eggshell to revolutionize the world. Um. And just staring out a window. And I was like, God, what a narcissist. I feel no sympathy (laughs) for you. (laughs) So in this moment, like Nanami is peeking through the door. And I love this shot of her. I love the color in this scene. It's just like a really well done frame of animation. Yeah. Um, And, like, you can see it on her face, like, the concern that she has for Toga. 
and that you can see that she is seeing him vulnerable for the first time. Yeah, that's true. Seeing what he is like when he is broken is is playing on her face. Yeah, and you know, from her duel episode, you would think she would fly into a like a rage and defend her brother, but she's very observant and sad, but is just watching as opposed to flying into action. So I don't know if that's, it seems to me more like, uh, I've never seen this side of my brother before yeah, and less of a moment of growth for her. It's more of a reaction of, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I, mean, I think that you can have moments of growth that come from that, from like seeing the strongest person in your life brought low puts oh, you sure. in a state to like reconsider your your place in the world and like the threat that the world poses. Yeah, I just meant I don't think she's grown that much from her duel, but I could be wrong. Like to me, it just seemed like more of a a shock. Oh yeah, I don't think like we've seen growth. enough yet to to say mm-hmm. one way or the other. Yeah. So yeah, I also wondered in that moment too. Like, has he heard from the end of the world? You know what? What was their conversation before he went into that duel? Did the end of the world send him the tape of him? His like recording of him that he's playing over and over again. Like that's his penance. <laughs> oh God, that'd be horrible. <laughs> Here, loser, listen to this. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, no, I don't think we know whether whether he had a conversation with the end of the world yet. Um mm-hmm. I don't know, like I think if I was in his shoes, I'd be afraid to have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like they were working together. But also, again, the end of the world has the upper hand in that they know what's going to happen before it actually happens and relays the information. Which is why I'm like, so it could be one of two things. One, the end of the world knew that this was going to happen and led Toga a different way. Or didn't know. And this is a shock to both of them. But we won't know until the show keeps going. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just thought I would put a little pin in that for this particular episode. So then we come back to something we had started to talk about at the top of the episode, which is this new mysterious character in red. AKA, oh shit, another dude with white hair. uh, It's not quite white, though. It's like Is a, it not? A, it's like a light purple. Oh, like a little lavender or periwinkle moment. Yeah. Okay. Which, which is where, like, I was saying, it puts him in the same realm, in a sense, uh, as the prince. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like, we know that the color coding of hair is a very key signifier. And this is the character who, so far, is closest to that color we get like one more character at the very end in the preview for next episode who's like bang on same color as the prince um but like 
this character in red, he's kind of close. Um, he's also in that like purplish color, which, you know, like we know from like the, the preview at the end of the episode, we're looking at Anthe's brother. Right. And so like the, the hair matching makes sense. Although like, honestly, Toga and Nanami are completely different hair colors. So like <laughs> protagonist hair follows its own rules. Like Mickey and Kozue have different hair colors. Right. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Um, but yeah, so this character in red is talking to the prince. And it seems like the way that um, it's drawn, it's like you go inside the castle and see the prince sitting on this little like orb thing. Yeah, because like he walks up to the dueling platform. Yeah. And you you can hear his footsteps on the, the stone of the dueling platform. Yeah. And then it like zooms in on the castle and then all of a sudden we're there. Right. So we're yeah. back to some of that like magical realism of, you know, what is the castle? Does he fly there? Like, how does this all work? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think the next thing that happens is this mysterious figure asks the prince, you still haven't awakened. Is the eggshell still unbroken? And so this, whoever this is, again, has an insight that most of the other characters in the show don't have. Sure, the whole, like, is the eggshell still unbroken? The student council knows all about that. And Utena by extension, because they won't shut up about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the you still haven't awakened... You know, people talk about the power of Dios and Utena talks about or knows about her prince, has the memory of her prince. But I don't think to this point anybody has been like, and I could be wrong, so correct me, but I don't think anybody has been like, oh yeah, that castle up there? Yeah, somebody's sleeping in that. Yeah. <laughs> like they say that's where like the power of Dios resides. I think but they that's... say sleeps. I like I I, I want to say, okay. like, in the first episode, they say that's where the power of Dio sleeps. Something along those lines. Um, I think it's been previewed for us before. And also, like, there's, like, some noteworthy pieces where when the prince appears to Utena, he is fully embodied. Um, mm -hmm. And now, like, in this scene, when this character in red goes to talk to the prince he is talking to the prince who is fully embodied and present right whereas whenever the power of dios appears it's just like a spirit that descends right. from the camp the castle not the right. prince himself and that's what that's what i mean in that like other characters in the show have talked about oh the power of dios resides or sleeps in blah 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 but that's not talking about like a power of something and then an actual person being in there to me are sure. two different things. <laughs> Cause like you could have a item 
and have power be infused in an item like we see with the sword. That doesn't mean that a person resides in the sword necessarily. Unless you're following like bleach rules or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. But one is like very, again, one is very tangible and the other is like amorphous. Right. Yeah. And I think it puts it back in that realm of the fairy tale, right? Where like the opening story of the show with, with like the fairy tale opening in the graveyard. Um, I think this like returns it to that fairy tale narrative. Like you get like that sleeping beauty vibe or uh, isn't there like a sleeping prince one also? Um, uh, I'm not like super up to date on my fairy tales. Like (laughs) I feel like there is, but I can't remember it. Okay. So there is a sleeping prince fairy tale also um, that has to do with like, the idea of marrying a dead man who turns out to just be asleep. Um, well, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, it's kind of the same vibe <laughs> as like Sleeping Beauty also, where like, or even like Romeo and Juliet, that idea of like a sleep-like death. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. So, so like it returns us to like this fairy tale aspect of the the whole narrative, and whenever we're dealing with the castle, it has that magical realism bit again. Also, they're like there's something magical going on, which yeah. noteworthy here. Utana has stopped commenting on the magical stuff that happens. Yeah, she's getting used to it. Or not questioning it. Right. Like, like with the curry thing, it happened. And it was clearly a magical thing that happened. But she was much more preoccupied with that it happened. Rather than, oh my god, how did this happen? Magic is real? What? (laughs) Yeah. Like, that conversation is no longer happening here. So she is getting fully enmeshed within this world. Yeah. But I do want to, like... Easy to do. (laughs) Easy to do when your high school looks like that. Yeah. There is one piece, though, that I wanted to talk about, and that is the orb that the prince or that Dios is sitting on. Okay. Um, the orb like clearly has like the rose seal on it, like mm-hmm. uh, in gold. And when I saw this, the first thing that I thought was like um, a globus cruciger, which is like the the globe with the cross on it that symbolizes um, a monarch's rule over the world, like that whole thing. Mm, okay. Except like instead of the cross on the orb. It's Dios himself, which, you know, we get back to uh, Dio being God, you know? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And so, like, instead of the cross, we just have this figure atop the world. And we're talking about, like, 
cracking the world's shell. The world is an egg. And now we have this orb and, and Dios is sitting atop of it. Like, it's all coming together that like some of these symbols in this world are very literal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dios, Dios is a mother hen. <laughs> <laughs> That's your takeaway? Okay. <laughs> yep, sure is. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh my God, my art history teacher would be dying right now. Uh <laughs> Anyhow. (laughs) So then we get into, like, the proper stuff of, like, this figure in red analyzing the duels one by one. Um, And they each have a name. Um, Just going, like, through them all really quickly. Uh, Friendship is, or Amite is the first one with uh, Sionji. Um, choice is the second one with Sionji. Um, reason or raison in French is the, the one with Mickey. Amour or love is the one with uh, Jury. Mm-hmm. Adoration is Nanami's. And then the two Toga duels are conviction and self, respectively. Broad strokes, we just replay every duel like i said this is a recap episode um there's only a handful that i took notes on as being like in any way significantly different from how we saw them in the episodes they first appeared but like that's the overall structure of this episode this is just like a recap where we rewatch every duel and this figure in red comments on them so i think we're mostly going to focus on like the commentary. Oh, for sure. Cause there's only like a handful of duels where like the cutting of the editing is completely different from the duel itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is uh friendship and this figure in red comments to the prince, like, Oh, you've actually been having hope for this girl since that very first duel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they I like the choice that they made of showing like the time of each duel passing as like a little rose crested hourglass and the color corresponds to like honestly the color of their hair, the opponent's hair, but also the roses. <laughs> Like everything's just color coordinated. Uh, So it's really easy to keep track. (laughs) Um, But that was a really pretty artistic choice. And again, we have like this, this idea of time, right? Like Mm -hmm. someone marking time very specifically. Like we have an hourglass. There's, um, you know, the bells that ring whenever there's a duel that's ending. Mm -hmm. Um, There's uh, Mickey and the stopwatch. Yeah. Mickey's stopwatch. Mm hmm. So no clue still what that is other than just like, I don't even know, just a build up to something, but couldn't tell you what. So what do you think the the name of this duel means? Uh, What do you you think it's referring to? 
Yeah, what do you think it's referring to here? Oh, well, this was the start of um, Anthea Nutena's friendship. Like, her winning this duel marks the start of that for them. <laughs> that is true. And now uh, all my brain, all my goblin brain can think of is, and they were roommates. Oh, my God. They were roommates. <laughs> And the history will say they were just friends. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I, this is the start of their relationship. And the, honestly, it is the start of them becoming friends. Um, I, I couldn't tell you well, if there, there was a meaning outside of that. There is one other thing. Who is she actually fighting for in that first duel? Because it isn't Anthe. Not directly. Oh, I'm getting the first and second duels confused. But I thought both of them were her standing up for Anthe. Am I wrong? Uh, there is one other piece here, and that is Wakaba. Because the, ah, first, yeah, okay. the, the first duel was uh, when Sionji had tacked up Wakaba's love letter. And was mocking her. That's right. Okay. She had already seen him abuse Anthe. And like. Then he went after her friend. And she's like. Okay this guy needs to be taken down a peg. So like the first. Entree into. Uh, the, this whole thing is actually. Fighting for both. Wakaba and Anthe. It doesn't become about Anthe. Until the next one. Like. Only Anthe, that is. Okay. Yeah, so like, on that note, the second one is Choice. And this was the episode where, you know, she was waffling, like, I don't know if I want to purposely lose, and then gets in there and realizes she can't let Anthe go back to Sionji. She just can't do it. And so she chooses to be a duelist, this time knowing the stakes, knowing the risks, not just like challenging him to a fight after school because he's being a dick. Like this time she actually goes in there ready to fight on the terms of the duel. Yeah. Yeah. And it has the, the little flashbacks uh, and voiceovers in this fight pointing all that out you know Utena herself saying I'll just lose and blah 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 yeah. and then her when it comes down to it her not being able to do that um, there's also something that I want to point out in between the first and the second duel there's a line that the guy talking to Dios says in between the first and second duel recaps and he says, as you had hoped, she became engaged to the Rose Bride and began to walk the path of the duelist. Now, I read a little too much into this at first. And I still think it could go this way. This is my tinfoil hat. We're, you know, we're putting it on at this moment. This go is my tinfoil hat. I love it. Go for it. <laughs> Conspiracy of the episode. Um, this to me implies more of a long con 
more of a long-term plan because you could look at it as in a short-term sense of like, oh, you saw them dueling and hoped that she would get, uh, she would become engaged to the Rose Bride, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing, folks. So this dude looks identical to who we see in the flashbacks or the fairy tales, you know, tellings of Utena's childhood and the prince and blah, blah, blah. Uh, So this is the long con of... (laughs) Him giving her the ring when she was a kid and leading her down this path uh, so that she would do what he wants, do this thing for him, uh, revolutionize the world, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It just feels, all this feels like a long con. So... We have, like, the prince character, like, Dios, and we have the guy in red. The guy in red has, like, that 90s Euro trash ponytail. He does the rat tail. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, he doesn't look exactly like the prince. Like the the prince sitting on the orb does look exactly like the prince that visited Utena. Right. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So, oh, so you're saying that the the prince is the one who set all this in motion and this was a long Correct. con of the princes? Okay. Yes. Now I can't determine if Dios is locked away in the castle of his own accord, of his own choosing, or if he is trapped there. From the conversation, the one-sided conversation that we get, it seems like maybe it's the former. But if it is the latter, he is trapped there. I think of these, again, context of fairy tales. I think of these fairy tale moments where when a party knows that they're about to be trapped and they basically do a hail Mary, uh, where they put their faith in someone and hope that it pays out for them in the long run. So you're thinking Utna is that character that this person put their faith in. Yes. Okay. And that's the tinfoil hat. I feel pretty um feel pretty convicted in this one. So I just like I'm so curious to see how the rest of the show pans out. Yeah. I'm like chomping at the bit. <laughs> um but and then, anyhow. And then after that duel, uh we even get like the reminder of Sionji slapping Anthe. Um, in case you forgot that there was a lot of slapping in this season, they had yeah. to remind you, by the way, Sionji hits girls. <laughs> right. Um, so this figure in red says, uh, 
Ever since that day, the seal on your power began to break. So mm-hmm. I think, I, I think this might lean a little bit more toward the he's trapped there side of the, the scale. Mm-hmm. Because like, the only other way like I could read that is like if he um like if his power is so great he sealed himself away. Right. Yeah, it could be either. But then why would he even want to revolutionize the world, quote unquote? Why would he want to crack the eggshell? Why would he want to break this? Sure. Mhm. So then we have the Mickey duel. It's the Mickey duel. Like (laughs) (laughs) it is like all of the interesting stuff about the Mickey episode happened before the duel. It's about like what gets Mickey to the dueling arena as opposed to what happens during it. So I have nothing to say here. I don't think the show does either. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I did notice that in this battle, the arch in the background looks completely different than in other ones. I don't know what that's about. Uh, It was open at the top as opposed to like a closed arch. I don't know what that's about, but it was something I noticed. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, no, I just went back and replayed it. You are right. It is open at the top. Mm hmm. I don't know what that means, but I was like, whoa, that looks different. Scribbles down. <laughs> <laughs> and I, the battle with jury, it's closed. It looks normal. Right. Um, yeah. What I, is like, that? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have to sit on that one because like, I didn't realize it was like foreshadow that early. Um, but like I went back and looked at episode five and it's open in episode five too. So like hmm. in the original version of that duel, it's open. Um, hmm. Wait, of which one? Five is which one? Mickey? Uh, that's Mickey's duel. Yeah. Okay. So like in the original footage, it was open at the top in there as well. Mm hmm. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> like now I'm having this like galaxy brain moment that I cannot say a word about because like you don't know anything of what's going to happen and I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I know that's why I'm like something big is happening and this felt like a really small like thing when I scrolled it down and it's not. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> I didn't. I have <laughs> never caught that in all of the watchings of this. I have never caught that the the ar- arena arch is open during Mickey's duel. Damn. Okay. I I'm thought that was like a much else... later thing. Oh, I'm trying to think of what else happens in that one. That's not the first time. Well, the that... first time we see Dios. Uh, the spirit of Dios come down into Utena was the second battle with Sionji. Right. Does it happen in this one too? 
It does. Does it happen? But okay. this is the one where um, Anthe cheers on Utena. And that's, <gasps> what, that's what breaks Mickey's concentration. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Because that whole time, Mickey thinks that he's fighting uh, a battle that Anthe wants fought on her behalf. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as she, she cheers on Utena, Mickey collapses. Like he realizes, oh crap, I'm doing this for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I'm just going to have to start taking notes of the background now. And like this duel no, was titled so Reason, um, which I think... Uh, speaks to like the studying that they were doing beforehand. These are very intellectual, like he's a very intellectual character and he comes to the dueling arena having concluded that it is necessary using like, I'm going to call this boy logic where (laughs) like he can't process his emotions as emotions. He has to process them as logic so that he comes to the conclusion that he has to free Anthe's music uh, from from Utena. Never mind that Utena has never interfered with this. Like, there's no objective reason to believe that any of this is true. Uh, but like, he has logicked his way to. All right, I have to duel Utena for for Anthe so that Anthe can be free. Because he's not paying attention to the fact that Utena is already trying to do the exact same thing. Right. Again, boy logic. (laughs) (laughs) Can't have feelings, can only have logic. Yeah. And a little one track minded. Yeah. Then we have the jury duel. Uh, This is Amor, love. Um, this one, I mean, I'm a sucker for any of the jury duels. I think that the choreography for the duels is some of the best, uh, in this one, the editing is incredible instead of like recapping in long shots, they are doing these cuts on the beat of the music of just like these rapid fire insert shots of Shiori. Just like hammering home that jury is fighting for Shiori. And so, yeah. um, you know, if if it wasn't clear in the in the episode where it happened, because they do kind of straight bait this. Yeah. Making it look like um she's actually after the boy. But like in this recap. It is completely unambiguous that Juri is fighting for Shiori and that Shiori is just like this cruel garbage fire who we all love and stan, who (laughs) (laughs) is just like toying with Juri. And like seeing it all laid out rapid fire makes that even more clear. In order, in, instead of dealing with her own feelings, she suppresses them and tortures Jury about it. Oof. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that, because 
I like I wrote in my notes here that like that editing was really effective and I wish they had done that in the episode. Yeah. I mean, I see why they did the episode the way that they did because they yeah. wanted to like draw it out as long as possible, but yeah. I liked this a lot. There's something else that our uh character in red when he's talking to the prince gives he says about Mickey and about Drury that they, and I think just about the student council in general, they won't ever be able to uh, seize the greatness and the power to revolutionize the world because they've all had hope taken away from them. And we've talked about this before in that every time the spirit of Dios comes down to Utena's aid, it's because she's not giving up. It's that determination and that hope that she has of yeah. winning, but also of being right in a way. Proving yeah. her point, showing her side of things. But um, interesting that this character points it out so um, point blank. <laughs> That like, hey, all these kids are hopeless. They don't got a shred of hope in them. <laughs> I was like, damn, dude. All right. Dude, he basically came up on the stage and said, fuck them kids and dropped the mic and left. <laughs> yeah. Student council have lost causes here. Seriously. So the la uh, the next one is... So the next one is Adoration, which is Nanami's duel. And they replay for us the scene of Nanami drowning the cat. I think what stood out to me the most is it feels much more um, cruel when framed this way. Like, I feel like they cut out some of the stuff about um, I feel like they cut out some of the times where we see Nanami showing remorse because the closing shot of this duel isn't her regret like walking away and turning around and regretting having drowned this cat the closing shot is her just watching it drown like this yeah. is a moment where like the judgmentalness of the camera becomes very clear yeah like Which... the camera no longer feels like a neutral observer in this recap of nanami i mean which is for a reason because the storyteller is not a neutral party right it's somebody with their own objective it's our friend in red right exactly Mm-hmm. Um, they don't replay uh conviction or self. I think Which they is think th interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I guess because they were so recent, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm guessing it's just because they're recent. Yeah. But um uh, and also for time. <laughs> yeah, true. They spent a lot of time on the Sionji ones. They showed a full like Utena climbing the stairs. Yeah, uh, and I think that that 
matters because like that second time when she's climbing the stairs, that is her choice to return to the duels on the terms of the dueling game. Yeah, true. Knowing full well what that means, what that risks and what the stakes are. Um, But then this character in red says, uh, could she be the person we've been waiting for? Is she the one who will advance to the duel called revolution? So like, yes, there is some future duel that is also named. And that name is revolution. Mm hmm. Well, and this gives us like the peek behind the curtain a little bit at like almost like the strings of fate or something like that. But um, just trying to see the course of events because it gives us the context of like all of these duels are named for things. Mm-hmm. And it's like they all have a title, they all have a name, a theme, etc. One day there will be one called Revolution. And it it gives the context that the student council chant <laughs> has been needing <laughs> for like the average outside person. Like if some rando from the school were to stumble upon a student council meeting and hear that Gregorian-esque, well, it's not Gregorian, <laughs> but that weird chant <laughs> yeah, yeah. that they do uh, at the beginning of every uh, meeting, they'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> and get out of there. Um, but it, it gives that chant and their mission purpose context that is what they're trying to achieve they're trying to get to that final battle whether or not they know it you know it depends on how much like the end of the world has told them i think which is probably not much but yeah so the guy in red says she will reach the duel named revolution and you will finally be released but don't worry we'll both profit from it yeah and he has like this don't look at me like that moment where yeah the sleeping prince like we can see even though like the face is blacked out we can see the head has turned and he's looking right at him <laughs> mhm cuz like before that he'd just been seen in profile was his face blacked out or is it just like in the shadow of the lighting like is it blacked out like the flashbacks or is it yeah it's blacked out like the flashbacks okay I think. Now you're going to make me look. <laughs> I was so preoccupied with what was being said that I didn't double check. Oh, wait, no. Like, in some of the shots, the prince's face is covered by his knee. And you can see, like, he has the same darker skin as Anthe does. Mm-hmm. In the shot that we're talking about, when he's facing the character in red, yeah, the face is completely blacked out like in the memory scenes. Okay. Which I think is really interesting. Like, does that imply that this character in red doesn't remember what the prince looks like? Yeah. Or is it like a, the visage isn't revealed until he's like free? Which I think goes along with maybe he doesn't actually remember what the prince looks like. 
behind yeah. whatever like the actual seal is. Like this could be the literal space that they are occupying, just like on opposite sides of the room with like these pillars of light. Or it could also represent like some extra real space that is artistically showing that they're having this conversation, but not actually in the same space. Like, I don't know that it's actually clear physically where we are or the physical reality of the space that these characters are in. Because like, if it is up in the castle, we're already in impossible territory. Right, like this castle floats upside yeah. down in the sky, and you can't see it <laughs> unless you're in the dueling arena. <laughs> right. Um, but like, I don't know. Like, this is making me think now because, like, this isn't something that I caught. Where, like, when the face is obscured by the prince's body, you can see the skin color, but not the facial features. But then, when you look dead on, he doesn't see the face; like, it's blacked. And um, now I'm just like, wow, maybe he doesn't remember what this prince looks like. Maybe he's like Utena in that regard. Maybe. I don't want to like pollute your your viewing of the show, but like I'm just thinking of this and like it's blowing my mind now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, don't worry. You're not you're not doing that at all. And like during this time, the character in red is holding a pink rose. Mm-hmm. which we see very clearly now at the end. And and of course, like we know that the rose colors signify different characters. And so he's not holding the white rose of the prince. He's holding the pink rose, which is Utena's color. Right. And then he says a new stage is about to begin and the rose is kind of like let go and floats amongst all these black ones or darker colored ones it's either like a dark purple or a black i mean we know that the title of the next episode is the boys of the black rose these are black roses right but like before we get to like this bombshell of a preview for next time we do have one last scene where anthe comes home and she walks in on this like adorably domestic moment between Choo Choo and Utena where they're just goofing off. Yeah, so cute. <laughs> and very notably, she doesn't answer for where she's been when Utena asks. I wrote the same thing down because listen, I've had people do this to me a lot lately <laughs> where I ask a question and I don't get an answer and it's always it always like does a little ding (laughs) mentally pops up yeah (laughs) where you're like hmm now why wasn't that question answered what are you dodging with that right but Uh we do know that she was like when um the character in red walks off holding or like he lets go of the rose and he walks off we can see in silhouette that he's meeting with Anthe. Oh, I missed that. Oh, yeah. No, like, uh, there's a silhouette where if you're looking very carefully, the silhouette is Anthe's. You can tell by the hair. I mean, like, I suppose oh. it could possibly also be Kozue. 
<laughs> but like we have no reason to believe it's Kozaway. <laughs> it was Kozaway all along. Because <laughs> like they're the only two characters who have that bob hairstyle. And also I think Anthe's proportions are a little taller. Uh, yeah, Kozaway. they are. But again, like I I can't imagine why there would be any reason why it would be like Kozaway or Keiko or one of those characters. No. I, I, think the, I think the implication is pretty clear that it's Anthe because like the very next scene, Utana asks, where were you? And we've just seen that she's with this character in red. But yeah, like we, we see in silhouette, she walks off with this character and then doesn't answer for where she's been. Which makes the preview even sketchier. Uh, there is one last scene that we get that's still the episode before the preview, and it shows a couple of items. It shows a black rose sealed off in a very large glass box with, like, nothing around it. A butterfly, like, a pinned butterfly in a glass frame on the wall. And then for some reason... A UFO landing, which I guess is like the Shadow Girls cue in the next, like, <laughs> if we're looking at it through the lens of a play, it's like, oh, we're going to the next stage, you know, like. <laughs> right. Um, and then it goes to the preview. We do get one more thing, though. Oh, what is it? Uh, we get a black rose seal ring. That's right. So, like, instead of being silver, it's black. Which, by the way, love the aesthetic. Aesthetically, very pleasing to me. <laughs> and we get the hundred boys. Yeah, yeah. Bajillions of them. Just, well, I mean, it's very specifically the hundred. But, like... <laughs> <laughs> and they all turn and look at the camera in, like, a horror... Uh, jump scare kind of thing <laughs> yeah um yeah and then we have the preview yeah let's which talk is... about let's talk about this preview man that like we get a lot thrown at us um, yes so, we do so as a note to the listener like the subtitles cut out on our copy of um uh of our, on our copy of the show so this section was not subtitled when we watched it the first time through we had to go and look it up on youtube so we're going off of the youtube uh subtitles for this scene which i think yeah. are probably the same as what they would have been anyway but like just in case like anyone cares like we're judging this entirely by the YouTube translation on this section. Right. So Anthe starts us off by going, hey, Utena, this is my big brother. And it pans over to the dude in red. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then she follows it up with even more of a banger by saying, 
oh, he doesn't know anything about the the duels or about me being the Rose Bride. So uh, please don't say anything uh, about it to him. Okay. Straight up lie. Yeah. No, like, (laughs) before we even go beyond that to, like, the other characters that are introduced, I want to zoom in on this moment in the preview. Like, you can talk about the previews being, like, extra canonical, but I want to take this as, like, a canon piece of the show because I think it's a very interesting moment. Yeah. We just had a very heartfelt moment between Anthea and Otenna of you know finishing up the last fight with Toga and Utena's all beaten up her uniforms and tatters and Anthe comes around the corner and gives the rose bride spiel and Utena goes none of that let's you know don't worry about that for now let's just go home and then they have this beautiful moment between each other and they smile and then it cuts to like canonically it's that moment and then them at home Utena going hey where were you Anthe not answering and then Anthe then going hey this is my brother he doesn't know me about me being the rose bride or any of the duels or anything so like don't tell him so sh- she like immediately went from again heartfelt moment to like backstabby one or like weird secretive plot, not quite backstabby yet because we don't know anything. But this weird secretive plot where she's complicit with her brother. Yeah, complicit in manipulating Utena. Yes. Which why? What does that serve? Answer your own question. What what does that serve? I guess to further the purpose of getting her along in her duels and themes, like checking all the boxes for her to get to that revolutionized one. If I had to guess, because if Annie's complicit in, you know, bringing her brother to the dueling arena, because that's the other thing that they specifically said that I'm just remembering is that you can't get to the dueling arena without the Rose Bride. She has to be present there. And yet, seemingly, her brother can come and go from the castle as he pleases. Right. But she was still there. I mean, do we see her in that? Well, you said we saw her shadow. Okay, so I don't know, like, how clear it is what space... um, they're in when he meets up with her. Like, it looks like he might be leaving the castle or maybe he's leaving, like, the school. Because, like, it's just an archway. Okay. And there's just, like, a thousand of those in this school. But it is <laughs> right after, like, it is right after the conversation with the prince. So, like, you could be right. Like, she could be there in the, that could be the dueling arena that we're seeing from the perspective of the castle as he's walking out of the castle. Mm-hmm. So I like I feel like that's plausible. Yeah, which I'm like, oh girl, if we found out that you're lying about this already, oh no, what else have you been lying about? Uh-huh. 
But like, this goes back to the question that I had. Is Anthe the end of the world? I mean, quite possibly. I think it's either her or her brother at this point. I'm more suspicious of her brother being the end of the world. I don't think we get the other voice on the other end of the phone. Um, Okay. But yeah, I can't get over... Like, we're already starting off the next arc and season with a bang of Anthe just flat out lying to Utena. Like, forget the hundred boys or whatever. Like, (laughs) (laughs) we, again, we went from, like, a beautiful heartfelt moment to lying to someone who is important to you. Right. I just, okay, interesting choice. We'll see how it pans out. (laughs) It's a bold choice, Cotton. Let's see how it pans out for him. Yeah. (laughs) And the last thing that the preview says, which is hilarious to me, it looks like some suspicious characters are after your brother's fiance. Who? Okay, so fiance, we do get we do get two characters introduced in this preview. One of them has pink hair, just like Utana. Mm-hmm. So, like this young man has pink hair, like Utana, and he has someone with him whose gender is a little ambiguous. At least from like this initial introduction. Um, and this other character has light purple hair and darker skin reminiscent of like Anthe and her brother. Yeah. So now we have like a mirror of Utana and Anthe. Mm-hmm. Just like a visual foil to these two characters they're being set up as like the antithesis of like the gender is swapped like instead of two girls it might be two boys yeah and then talking about like the fiance Uh uh-huh mirroring the engagement of the rose bride yeah right because like we see a shot on the couch of anthe's brother and presumably the fiance Mm -hmm. and i'm Every time I say the guy in red or Anthe's brother, I am fighting the urge to use this character's name. (laughs) Anchovy. Um. His name is Anchovy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's being left in. I'm think, I think I'm going to make that the title. Uh. (laughs) Okay. Anything else before we wrap up? No, I'm the last thing that I wrote down was so who the fuck was the end of the world? And we already talked about that. So it will unfold, I am sure. <laughs> I love this next arc. I can't wait. So where can folks find us? So we have a Twitter account for the podcast. If you haven't heard of it before, it's at Zetai Unme Pod. 
We also have a uh, Gmail account that you all can write into. Uh, tell us your theories, uh, write in your questions, comments, etc. Um, and that would be absolute destiny a podcast at gmail.com. Um, speaking of writing into us, this episode we have some listener mail. Um, I'm just going to go through a few of them. So, uh, Erie Maxwell on Twitter writes in age wise. Uh, this is in reference to, I think, um, episode eight, where we were debating like the ages of some of the characters, especially like Nanami, like Nanami being substantially younger than the rest of them. Um, Erie right. Maxwell writes in and says, age wise, I know the first episode says Uten is in middle school, which because of like the way that Japanese schools work, um, I think middle school extends a year up. And I, like, that's where I get confused. Like we know that she's in middle school. It's that like, how does Japanese school do its break points between middle and high school? Um, Cause that says more about their actual ages. Um, but we know that like, jury is oh they say jury is 16 in the manga so horrifically there's an actually a pretty good chance you were right and anami is 12 or 13 and they have the grimacing uh awkward emoji <laughs> <laughs> uh mo reinhardt on twitter also says uh i'm enjoying at Zatayu my pod so much uh, the best dynamic for a media discussion podcast is absolutely enthusiastic newbie plus seasoned fan plus the most recent episode covers one of the best scenes in the entire first season, in my opinion. Uh, this is in reference to um, the pencil box with the snails and the snake and uh, the octopus, which Mo has very helpfully uh, put in <laughs> the snail pencil snake uh I almost said taco. That's the Japanese word for octopus um, and the octopus <laughs> emoji. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely one of my favorite scenes. Lastly, we have on Twitter, uh, Nagumo191, who says, uh, basically, the reason why Utena duels is because Mickey is treating Anthe as a possession to be one and making her obey him, at least according to the script writer, uh, Enokido. And they shared a link to an interview um, with uh, Enokido Yoji, the story editor. And the translation of that is up on um, the empty movement website, uh, otori.new. So if folks want to check it out and read that um, it's there. I, I feel like we got a little bit into this in the episode itself. Um, and I, I know, like, this is the word of the story editor. Seeing the episode, like, as the text, I don't feel like it's as clear as uh, the editor tries to make it sound in, like, mm -hmm. their Q&A. Um, but, yeah, I can see it. I can, I can see, like, that possessiveness coming out again. Um, finally, uh, we have a very long email. I'm only going to share like just a little bit of this one. Um, this one comes from uh, Negrom. And Negrom says, uh, thank you for the podcast. Very interesting, fun, funny, and well-produced from minute one. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, 
they say it's one of their most anticipated shows each week, which that just fills my heart Same. with joy. <laughs> I, I love hearing that. Um, they say Chesney is picking up on subtle nuances that flew right over my head on the first watch. You're both smarter than I am. No, we're not. We're <laughs> just goofballs. <laughs> um, uh, you're both smarter than I am. And while most people take two viewings to really grasp the series, uh, a real challenge for a podcast, I, I think that Chesney will get the full experience in just one. That makes this the perfect Utana Blind Watch podcast. Quite a feat. Um, and then, then they get into like, Talking about how, uh, <laughs> talking about how I have a tendency to ask leading questions and drop little hints that may be spoilery to folks who, um, like may make it easier to like connect mm. some dots than the show itself makes it. Which fair, like that's a fair criticism. I I, I do that you know to make the podcast interesting. Um, but yeah, no, you're Negron, also, you are absolutely right. <laughs> also to my benefit, also to my benefit, <laughs> I do do that. <laughs> I'm like, I will happily take any like little hints that you want to drop me because as much as I want to, you know, blind react, I will also happily goblinate all the little crumbs you will give me. <laughs> Uh, but Negrom writes, like, even so, please don't change that spoilery talk. The discussion is perfect, especially for Utena veterans, who are surely your main audience. Um, but yeah. And then... Oh, and they also answer the question Ooh. going all the way back to episode three. Uh, which was, like... What is that condom looking thing that Choo Choo is eating? Oh my God, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so that is a desiccant package to keep things from, like, to keep moisture out of things, which is like one of those galaxy brain foreshadowing moments of like the dress is going to disintegrate from water. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it with galaxy brain because who who would have picked <laughs> that up? <laughs> like I have seen this show so many times, and I'd never pieced together that that's what Choo Choo is eating. One of those packets. So, and now that now that I see it, I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> my mind is blown. So, thank you for your comments and telling us that we're smart. However, you also have one up on us. <laughs> Yeah, no, like you definitely uh, clued us into something that like we completely missed. I have missed it in every viewing of this show. Uh, I never really like pieced together that that's what he's eating. Thank you. Also, <laughs> holy shit, a miracle that Choo Choo is not dead. It's because he's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Squeezing one more conspiracy hat. <laughs> <laughs> tinfoil hat theory here at the end <laughs> so that is our listener mail for uh all of this first arc of the show going forward now that more like by the time we're recording this one 
we have released through episode like eight. Um, and like the first six of those episodes were recorded before we started releasing episodes. So like if you've been listening since like episode three for us to read your email or your your tweets or whatnot, um, it's just a matter of like how we've been recording this whole time. Uh, going forward, we're going to be reading them more closely to as they come in, but we do still have like a pretty good lead on like pre-recorded episodes before we release them. So um, please continue to write in. We love hearing your theories. We love hearing your thoughts on anything that we have to say. Um, ask us questions. We love that. So yeah, from like, please just hammer us with stuff. Yeah. And again, feel free to send in any of your own uh tinfoil hat conspiracy theories because i would love to hear them also like wherever you're listening to the podcast if you want to subscribe uh, or if you have subscribed please like leave a comment leave a rating that really helps us out um it helps with visibility and we will absolutely read your comments also yeah um, and if you want to follow our personal accounts, uh, you are more than welcome to do so. Uh, I am at CarCutie on uh, pretty much everything, you know, Twitch, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Again, the TikTok is questionable, but it exists. <laughs> um, I am Life in Neon on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Twitch. I don't stream as much, but you can find me there. And yeah buckle up season two is gonna be a wild ride can't wait as per usual 